Welcome. I'm glad you're here. We are going to do a few practices tonight. I'm going to go over uh, posture and things like that, and then we're going to do a few practices, and then I have a talk prepared to give. So I'm glad you guys are here. This is a pretty normal turnout. It's usually two or three or four people, and, and that's okay. So I'm going to talk about how we sit first. Put on the little timer on my phone so I keep track of our time. And what I want you to do, or rather, I'm going to tell you what I do, and you can do what you want. But I like to sit in the half lotus, which is this, um, it's not traditional sitting cross-legged, but it's rather my foot on top of my knee, my other foot tucked underneath. I have found that my feet don't fall asleep when I do that. Um, but that being said, that, that's the point. That's what we're trying to avoid. If our feet fall asleep, that's a, that's a problem, right? So I sit this way because it makes my feet not fall asleep. But if you have another way that prevents your feet from falling asleep, I think that's just fine. I know um, some people are very strict about these things, and, and I'm not. So first of all, that's what we're doing first is finding a plan for our legs. And then another thing that I always say is when I start to slouch, I've always found my mind starts to wander. So a straight back is very important. And also, another consequence of slouching is eventually your back is gonna hurt. So a uh, really straight back is for the best. When I used to teach meditation to kids, I told them pretend a string is holding your head up, which is kind of creepy now that I think about it. But, <laughs> but that's what I always told kids, pretend a string is holding you up so you have to sit up straight. So, and you'll find you're going to start to slouch sometimes. You just, you, know, you just check yourself. You just, oh, I'm slouching, and that's okay. And then, let's see, legs, back, okay. And then your hands. A lot of people think, what do I do with my hands when I'm meditating? And there are two options that I really like. And one is, I call it the bowl, and really fancy people call this the cosmic mudra, but I think that name's ridiculous, so I call it the bowl, but it's just hand on top of hand like this, thumbs gently touching, resting in your lap, like this. And some people have strong opinions about which hand is on top, and they say put the right hand on top. I like to put the left hand on top, though. And so that's number one. And then the other thing I recommend, if that doesn't work for you, is just, people call it relaxation. It's just hands on your knees. And I think that's, that's good too. Just the point is, if we don't have a plan for our hands, then we're gonna, we might fidget. And we wanna avoid fidgeting whenever we can. So, have a plan for what your hands are gonna do. Hands, legs, back. So, and then the other thing, a lot of people like to do a closed eyes meditation practice. I actually like to do an open eyes meditation practice. And what I do for that is I find a spot on the floor that's not particularly interesting and I put my eyes on it. And then that's just what I do. I don't stare at it. I just kind of, that's where my, my eyes are resting. I have found that if I sit with my eyes closed, I'm that really kicks in the daydreaming, so I don't like to do that. But that said, though, if eyes closed works really well for you, then please, by all means, do it. But I'm going to be looking at this part of the floor here with my eyes cast down a little bit, like this. So, um, any questions before we go on? Okay, so I like to start with a practice called the healing breath. 
and that is a controlled breathing exercise and it serves to kind of separate us from our day-to-day -day life and bring us into the meditation mindset a little. So what that is, is it's a very slow breathing practice where we breathe in to a count of five and we hold our breath to a count of five and then we breathe out to a count of five and we repeat that three times and I'm going to show it to you now. So it looks like this. In. Holding my breath. Out. So I'd like to invite you to do that with me now three times. So breathe in. So I like to use that practice as a bookend. So we do it at the beginning of the meditation. We'll do it again at the end. It's also a very portable practice, and it's something that I like to use to center myself in any, in any situation that I really don't want to be in. So it just gives me a minute to kind of come in and be more fully present and not so caught up in whatever bad thing is happening. That's what I really like it for. So... And I think nothing makes you pay attention to your breath more than not breathing for a little bit, right? So now we're going to do the meditation practice that is called following the breath. And the way that is done is we're going to begin by bringing attention to our breathing. So your focus can either be your nose, the air coming in and out, or if that doesn't work, the rise and fall of your belly. These are things that are going on all the time, but we don't pay much attention to them unless there's a problem, right? So that's what we're gonna place our attention on is the sensation of breathing. So just notice, breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. This is gonna be our anchor, so Whenever something comes up to distract us, whenever we start to think about what we're doing later or what we'd like to be doing instead of this, we just come back to the breath. And a lot of people find it helpful to count. So on the in-breath, you mentally note one. And on the out-breath, mentally note two. In one, out two. And this is very important. Whenever something comes up to distract you, and it will incessantly, you just go back to one on the next in-breath. We don't beat ourselves up about our struggle. We just go back to one on the next in-breath. In one, out two. In one, out two. And we're going to just sit here and follow our breath for a little while, and then we'll switch to another practice. 
want to invite you to release the breath as your anchor, and we're going to instead do a different practice for a few more minutes. And this is called the practice of just sitting, where we have no anchor at all. We're not trying to do anything except just be fully present and notice what's going on and also not attached to it. So if I hear a noise, I'm going to note that I'm hearing a noise and I'm not gonna wonder what that noise is. I'm not going to wish that noise would go away. I'm just gonna notice I'm feeling hearing a noise and I'm just going to not let that take me anywhere. And if I remember what I did today, I'm just gonna notice I'm remembering what I did today and I'm not gonna let that memory take me down a rabbit hole to other thoughts and memories. So, a lot of people find this very difficult, but it's what we're going to try to do for a few minutes. Just be fully present and just notice, just make a mental note of everything that, that comes into your mind, of which there will likely be many things, and that's okay.
like to invite you to do the healing breath with me three times again to close our meditation. <coughs> so go ahead and breathe in. at these, so I have a talk I've prepared, and what I'm going to talk about tonight is uh, something that I think meditation helps us with. A, a lot of the time I just talk about how hard meditation is, and I don't know if I should do that every time, so, <laughs> but at the same time, I think some meditation teachers just never talk about how hard it is, so I think it doesn't help, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm going to talk about something that it helps us with, but first I wanted to ask, are there any questions or comments about the practice that we did tonight? Uh, it was 30 minutes total, so including the instruction and everything, 30 minutes. So just sitting, probably 25, 26 minutes. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me during the just sitting mindfulness piece, is it still best to keep your gaze fixed on one spot on the floor? Yes, yes. I, either that or eyes closed, yes. Because if you're looking around, then you're doing the practice of looking around, right? So. <laughs> yeah. And even if like it seems like there's nothing going on around, like there probably is. And we start to notice that when we're being really still, we start to notice, oh, there's lots of stuff happening. So, so I'm going to give a talk on what is called the second arrow. Has anybody ever heard of the second arrow? That's okay. That's okay. I didn't think so. So it's this old teaching about how we relate to our experience. The second arrow is how we tend to magnify our own suffering. So... First arrow, this is a metaphor, obviously. The first arrow is a bad thing that happens, and then the second arrow is our way of making it worse. So I've my two personal examples for this I have are this one time my son threw up, and that in itself, that's bad, that's gross, and I've got to clean that up, right? But that's not the only thing I'm dealing with. I'm also thinking, oh shit, is he sick, right? Is he going to be sick for a while? Do I have to take him to the doctor? How long is that going to take? Am I going to have to miss work? How many days do I wait before I take him to the doctor? Do I take him today? Do I wait until he's been sick for two days or three days? I don't know. And that is the second arrow because I'm making myself crazy. And the truth is that he just threw up and one time and that was it. And then he was fine and he went to school the next day and everything because that's what kids are sometimes. I feel like as I get closer to 40 now, when I get sick, I'm sick a very long time. And... When I was a kid, I was like my son, oh, I'm sick for a day and I'm fine. So I look forward to getting older. So, <laughs> so um, that's one example. But my other example is this one time my tire on my car started to go flat. So then I'm like, oh shit, well, I'm going to go to Quick Trip and they've got the free air, right? So then at first I think, 
great, there's going to be a line at Quick Trip for the air because it's free, <laughs> and there always is. But anyway, then I get air in the tire, then the next day, it's going flat again, like happens sometimes. So then I'm thinking, oh no, I have to go to a mechanic. Maybe they can patch it, but probably not. I probably need a new tire, right? I probably have to miss a day of work because I'm going to be without a car. So, um, cars are inconvenient and annoying. That's what I started to tell myself. I wish I didn't have to have a car. I wish I worked next door to home, but of course I don't. So, and then I just, so I'm struggling with all that. And then I just, I took my car to Discount Tire and they fixed it in less than an hour. They patched it. If you live north of the river, go to Discount Tire because they're good. But that those, so those are two examples of, I had kind of a little problem and I actually, I made it way worse in my head. So that's what the second arrow is. The first arrow is whatever happens. And then the second arrow is when we struggle with it and we steal our own joy. So the first arrow is inevitable. Uh, things are always going to go wrong. There will be flat tires always, right? Life's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. The question is, can we learn how to respond better to the second arrow? Or rather, maybe not make the second arrow happen at all. We don't, sometimes we really don't want anything in life to be less than great. So we get really frustrated and we make our unhappiness worse because things don't go perfectly the way we want them to. And so when something happens we don't like, then sometimes it sets all these mental processes and it puts us into a downward spiral. Our minds go wild and we tell all sorts of stories about why things are worse than they really are. And I think we all do that. We all build things up in our minds. And sometimes when we have unpleasant feelings, we also lash out, like I'm so mad I'm having this feeling, I'm so mad I'm uncomfortable or mad. I'm so mad that I'm sad, and especially, how dare you make me feel this way? We, we get that way, how dare you? I deserve to be happy all the time. And I don't wanna feel that. And then another second aspect of the second arrow is what I'm gonna call avoidance. And that is where we pretend something's not happening. So that's the other, the other level is we pretend it's not happening. I really, really aggressively pretended I was okay when, when my father passed away and I was not okay, but I pretended I was for a really long time and that didn't serve me very well. And I think that a lot of us do that. And a lot of us have stories like that because Life is hard, and I also think our culture doesn't help us very much because we get this message again and again and again that just, I'm going to be happy if I get a new car, or I'm going to be happy if I get tacos, or I'm going to be happy if I get Disney Plus, right? That's the new one. So the truth is that burying our sadness by spending money um, brings fleeting relief and also there's always new things to buy, so we're going to run out of money that way. And that's, people go heavily into debt because they're trying to buy happiness, I think. So, and to put it another way, our pain is the first arrow, and the second arrow is our inability to deal with that in a reasonable way. So there's, there's a concept that I like, it's called apamata, and I don't usually like to talk about foreign language terms, but apamata I like, and it means the absence of madness. Because I think that we, we make ourselves crazy. So I think I really like the word madness for what we're doing. 
we have these experiences where we're getting hit by the first arrow and we just react and stab ourselves with the second arrow. That's, that's madness, right? We just react because we're not fully present and we're not seeing things clearly and we can't just be here and be like, okay, a kid threw up, so I'm gonna clean that up, right? We, we just go crazy and when we're mindful, we can choose to respond instead of just reacting. It's that mindfulness that, that we're working on here, that we're developing to just be aware and not go down this rabbit hole of either sadness or denial. The mindfulness and awareness is so helpful to us because we can really learn to recognize when we're making things worse for ourselves. And we can make, we can choose some of our thoughts, not always, but we can choose some of our thoughts and start to, you know, tell ourselves, okay, this isn't that bad. I'm going to get through this. It's probably going to be okay because a lot of the time it is okay. And sometimes there are real disasters, of course, but a lot of the time it's okay. And sometimes, even if we're mindful, we're going to make things worse anyway, but at least we know, we can learn how to know we're doing it, and that takes away some of its power. And sometimes we can learn to say, oh, this isn't that bad, or my fears are ridiculous. So that can be really helpful. And one of my kids, different kid, not the same one that threw up. <laughs> one of my kids, he, whenever he can't find something, he immediately goes to, someone took it. Someone took it. I can't find my toy. Somebody took it. So what's he doing? He's piling the frustration of losing something, which really, it sucks to lose something, but he's piling on anger at random person. I don't know who they are. So that is just two negative emotions together when it could have been just one because nobody took it. Nobody's ever <laughs> taken it. So... And we think we're not like that, but I think that if we really think about it, we probably have stuff like that too. So he's making himself unhappy and I'm trying to work with him on that because that's no way to go through life. But that's the first arrow, something's lost. The second arrow, looking around to place blame. Whose fault could this be? So he's adding to his struggle and I think that we all do that sometimes. And another thing that happens and I don't have an example for this, that's too bad. But we might make a mistake in our life, and then that's the first arrow, and then the second arrow is just telling ourselves, I'm worthless, I'm never gonna be good at this thing, I'm, other people are better than me. Just being really down on ourselves. I'm not good at anything, I'll never amount to anything. And that's no good either. And so that's, Step one, a bad thing happens. Step two, blame ourselves or others. And then sometimes step three is try to get rid of it. Just distract yourself, pretend it's not happening. Go shopping, drink, lie to yourself, whatever. So I don't want you to think that avoiding the second arrow means pretending the first arrow didn't happen. Denial is a different kind of second arrow. It is really the second arrow is whatever stops us from dealing with what's happening in a skillful way and facing it properly and meditation helps us to see through see through our crap so we can see what we're doing to ourselves and we can learn how to witness what we're doing instead of just being all caught up in ourselves all the time just thinking oh who took my toy right so little by little we can learn how to see things more clearly and see through see through the things we're telling ourselves and we really want to not lie to ourselves and not make things worse and not 
pretend things aren't happening. So that's what I wanted to say. Meditation helps us to do that. We can see, hopefully we can learn how to see what aspects of our struggle are optional and what aspects are not. Because it's true, some of them are not. But if, at, if some of the things making us unhappy are things we're choosing to participate in, then we should try to learn how to not do that. So that's what I wanted to say tonight. Um, if there's any questions or anything to add, we can, I can listen to that, and if not, then